Welcome to STEM Interviews, a science communication interview series powered by stemcognito.org, a not-for-profit platform showcasing the best in STEM research for free. STEM Interviews is hosted by ex-researcher turned professional science communicator Dr. Sarah Wettstadt. Each episode, Sarah chats to a scientist, technologist, engineer or mathematician about their research and why it's important for both scientists and non-scientists. She also asks about their science communication tactics, hobbies, career journeys and pretty much everything in between. Hello everybody, welcome to our very first STEM Cognito interview series. We are, I have the pleasure today to talk to our CEO, Dr. Matea Gabrielska, and we're going to talk about what she thinks about science communication, why she's so passionate about it, and why she wanted to start the project STEM Cognito, where you can actually see this video right now. And we're going to talk a lot about science in general, ask your, are we going to She's gonna uh, respond to all your questions that you had about her favorite topic and the research project that she's working on. And I welcome you, Marta. Really nice. Well, to, thank nice you, to Sarah. <laughs> it's nice to see you too. And uh, I will just uh, add that this is my first interview. Therefore, I am a bit nervous, uh, but I'm sure we can <laughs> do it really well. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be fine. So Marta and I, we actually met we virtually met like everyone else these days um, about four four months ago now when she was asking for people to join her on this uh, project for STEM Cognito and the uh, goal was to provide scientists with video with a video platform so that people like her that are in a different time zone than the rest of the research community have access to all the amazing scientific content that is out there so Marta had this tweet and a couple of people i don't even know how many people responded to that one i think it was around 10 people initially then i messaged them and then in the end we are five of us we're five now yes so five fantastic project yes five people of us founded the stem computer platform and yeah we're all working on that so today we kind of want to introduce it and yeah, just chat about it. So you as our CEO, why do you think, why, why did you even wanted to start the STEM Cognito platform? What was your initiative behind that? Um, so as you said, the, there was just this idea that now when I live in Australia, I feel a bit isolated from the rest of the world. And now with all COVID pandemic and the whole situation and that all our lives are now on internet, on Zoom meetings, Zoom conferences, other virtual events. So we can't even go to conferences for now, at least. Um, so the only way to see other people's uh, scientific talks is to actually um, turn on your computer. The problem is that, for example, when you live in Australia, a lot of interesting scientific talks from, for example, US or Canada or Europe can happen in the middle of the night. And as I am a great fan of science, I also love sleeping. Um, so it, it was just really a, a problem for me. So I thought, yeah, there must be some platform that already exists and stores all these fantastic webinars that I wanted to see, but I couldn't find anything. I mean, there are there, there are like, 
separate websites. Somebody has a webinar here and there, but there's nothing that would bring them all together. There's also a bit of YouTube, but it's exactly YouTube. Yes, YouTube, yes. Oh, everything. And I wanted then to, to that maybe we could form something more personal, like something smaller, really devoted for STEM to, to keep scientists like to bring them together like a virtual never-ending conference but on the other hand we could also share what we do um to the public so they could actually participate in this conference and maybe uh, be more interested in what we do so you basically wanted to reach both scientists and non-scientists with the platform yes this is a platform which is supposed to join this uh, groups which are a bit separated. Mm -hmm. um, that's because scientists are really sometimes really focused on their experiments, on their technologies and things, and they sometimes forget that there are these people who are actually giving money to foundations, that they are actually sponsors of your science, and they maybe it's it's really difficult to explain what you do to them, but I think it's important to try. And um, as I learned during my grant applications that really this outreach, it's really very important. You mm -hmm. just, then I was started thinking about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just, where do I put it? I didn't see myself as a YouTuber. Um, <laughs> and my writing is not that great. So actually, what should I do? And the only thing what I should just chase people who, for example, can interview me, but um, I didn't feel like asking. Um, yeah. I wanted to create something a bit new, a bit open. So this is why STEM Cognito exists. So you don't need to ask anyone. You just you can just simply submit your video, and uh, we will just view it, of course, for the quality. Uh, if we don't understand it, we can ask questions. Uh, but basically, it's up to any of you who are uh, seeing this right now um, or in the future. Um, it's just up to you the level of complexity that you want to explain your science, whether you want to just talk to your fellow scientists or would you like to maybe present your results to, to your mom who lives on the other continent. And then you just need to simplify a bit your science and then she can just watch it and she will be probably really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good summary of why scientists should actually use the STEM Cognito platform. Is there, <laughs> what do you think, like what would using the STEM Cognito platform help scientists advance in their own career? Besides from the science communication aspect, which we know it's really important to bring science out yeah. into people. but. What do you think about yeah, the career options that scientists have by doing science communication? Well, there are a few options that, that STEM Cogito, for example, offers is um, each of your outputs can be basically cited uh, and it's one of your additional outputs showing your initiative. How do you want to communicate your science? Also, if you want to provide a video of your like super scientific content, you can share it with your collaborators. Uh, you can make people um, in other institutes, in other universities aware of what you're doing. So basically make your scientific profile bigger, um, make yourself more visible. And it's actually our job to make you visible 
because when you submit the video, we will do the rest. We will do the marketing for you. Um, and we will just shout about that science so, so that you can get more citations. And if you get more citations, your uh, science is going up in, in the hierarchy of academia. So we have better chances of getting grants. And then you can always, in your grants, you can put a tiny bit of money for scientific communication um and and you can just make it bigger um so yeah and yes. everybody will. yes because we all know that scientists have problems with marketing themselves right how to oh, yeah. reach out to the people without being too salesy and yes because science, uh, scientists usually stay within their own community and yeah don't like to yeah. brag about their stuff that's that's a really good that's a really good goal of the platform, yes. Yeah, I don't know like for all the scientists, but I know that many but scientists many, yes. chose, yes. And, you know, they chose the laboratory not to interact with too many yeah. people, like to, to sail, I don't know, super complicated machines. Mm -hmm. um, we really love our equipment and yeah. the, the, the coziness of the laboratory. So that might explain why we, we need sometimes a bit of help yeah. to, to spread the word about yeah. So since we talk about career options of scientists, um, one of the questions from from social media was actually, what advice would you give to young scientists these days? Because we know, especially with the pandemic, scientists face so many challenges and traveling has been more challenging than ever. And yeah, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the next month or years. So what do you think a scientist should do right now to advance their career or to stay on top of the game, basically? What is your thought mm -hmm. on that? Well, for me, every time I reach a problem, uh, an obstacle, I'm trying to um, really turn it around and use it to my advantage. So, for example, now we can't go to conferences. We all are on Zoom. So what we can do, we can found a STEM Cognito platform. So using this not happy circumstances to build something new and good. So um, try. my advice would be to always try when life gives you lemons, just to make this lemonade. You can also make lemon curd, delicious. You can, uh, lemon meringue pie is fantastic. Um, what else? Lemons are very good for cleaning, like you can yeah. add lemon skin to the dishwasher and it just smells nice. So as you can see, lemons have many, uh, can use them in many ways. And the same way is with any disadvantage that you encounter. And the second advice is you need to always think about your mental health and never really drive yourself to complete exhaustion because you need to first of all, take care of yourself to be able to take care of your project, of your family, uh, of your job or jobs. Uh, so yeah, you need to take care of yourself. And when you are calm and rested, make a list of things you can do to solve your problems. And just, yeah, just we need to do it right? <laughs> to, to, to solve yeah. our problems. Mental health is a really, it's a big challenge, and especially in academia, yeah, in the center. Oh, definitely. Yes. And. What, what do you think about the challenges that women face in STEM? Because there's been a lot of talk about this as well in academia and in the STEM field in general. You, as a woman, obviously, what do you think are the challenges for women? Oh, yeah. there are 
questions for women in any field and it's yes. not only STEM uh, but as a woman in STEM I just experienced uh, a few um, so uh, well I was like thinking recently women got the right to vote in the previous century so basically and we are still keep fighting for equal rights equity and um, closing the pay gap which uh yeah it's a big issue but for me as a woman the biggest issue in science and in stem is that contracts that we are hired uh, on they are always short term and as a woman who is taking care of a family uh, it gives me so much uncertainty and anxiety about the future that that for me is a cause why many women could quit academia and try to find positions which will give them uh, security. The second thing is it doesn't matter maybe if male or females, but if you are in a relationship and you are working in academia, for example, in STEM, there's often a need to travel and to change countries. Uh, I myself, I moved to Scotland in UK and now to Australia, and I was actually lucky. Uh, and my partner came to Australia with me. But there are many uh, people in relationships in where the partner has actually secure, better paid job, not on the contract. And I can't imagine that they will decide really to quit because yeah. their partner got a two year contract in the other side of the world. Therefore, they were just um, compromised their career which was pretty solid to something which is uncertain. Less certain, less of less um, duration, less money, obviously, yeah. quite often, yeah. and more work, more stress. Yes, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a big problem, and when yes. You, yeah, when you have uh, kids, it's getting even more complicated yeah. because you need to pay schools, you need to pay for the schools. I once was offered, uh, um, sort of like almost offered a position I was considering in a country, one country, but after um, paying for the school for kids and for the housing, there will be nothing left. Yeah. So basically, and you can't, if two people are moving together, like into another country, it's really unlikely to find jobs, both of us at both the same time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's so, yeah, like, really important points. Yes. That people outside of sometimes, often don't see. Yeah. Yeah. It sometimes seems that career in STEM might be only for um, single uh, childless people, yes. which is not, and it's said not, I'm not saying it is, it's just, it gives such impression because also you need to spend a lot of time, you are expected to work on weekends, on evenings and mornings, and uh, but we need life, we need to rest yeah. and our mental health is suffering, so, so it's hard, yeah. Yes. About it's not easy but i see i see that you're coping quite well i mean you have you have your own research career plus you have all these projects on top of your research career like wisdom cognito I, and everything else so i just hate being bored so, <laughs> <laughs> so i keep finding myself things to do Fair enough. Just, that's good yes just to prevent myself from doing all the housework which you know maybe <laughs> big fan but it I have so many job things to do and then I can uh, use it as okay. an excuse. Fair enough, yeah. yeah.
good. <laughs> okay, then let's let's switch a bit to your actual research project. So you are mm -hmm. an expert on RNA, and a lot of people are probably now thinking, what the heck is RNA? I've heard of DNA and all this stuff, but what is actually RNA? And how would you explain RNA to the non-scientific community? Because a lot of our viewers and listeners are from the non-scientific community. So what is your goal on that? Okay, let me try. Well, yes. uh, COVID, I think at least the word RNA is no longer um, so mysterious to everyone. However, um, and to explain it, the easiest way to explain is that RNA is just a cousin of DNA. It's mm -hmm. similar. It yeah. is built from very similar building blocks, but it has different function. Mm -hmm. uh, DNA, for example, is uh, built from two strands which really match each other fantastically. Mm -hmm. And RNA is built only from one, but sometimes it can have different structures, so it can match pieces of itself somewhere. Mm -hmm. But the building blocks are very similar. Uh, and DNA is stores the genetic information, the information about our genes, but to actually extract this information, you need RNA. Yeah. So there is DNA, RNA extracts the information from DNA, and then RNA can be used to build proteins that builds our body. Okay, so what do you mean with extract information from the DNA? How is, <laughs> what do you mean with it? Is it taking out some, some stuff, some, something out of the DNA and takes it into its oh, own? What, how what do you mean with it? <laughs> So because DNA and RNA are built from um, very similar blocks, um, RNA can basically be built on one piece of DNA. So DNA is double-stranded, there are two pieces. Mm -hmm. When you just make it, you can build something on this template. Okay. So you can build either a DNA during so-called replication, or you can build RNA yeah. in the process called encryption. Okay. So you build DNA is your template and RNA is the product. So okay. because using the same blocks, you're just having sort of a copy. So this is this extraction of information. Mm -hmm. And then this RNA is used and these building blocks are read by specific machines in the cells called ribosomes and protein is being made on this RNA. But it's very simple, simplistic view of RNA. Okay. Because recently learned about so many different functions of RNA that, and that there are so many RNAs with no function or unknown function, and that basically it's mind-blowing. Okay, okay, so, okay, let's, let's start one, one point at a time. Um, so the question I have from all of this is, so you have two strands of DNA that are parallel to each other or complementary as scientists call it. And you have only one strand of RNA. So why do you need two strands of DNA, but only one strand of RNA? Is, is there a problem with stability between these two strands or why Yeah, can DNA not be on its own? It always needs to be like double stranded or what makes RNA more stable? So uh, DNA doesn't have to be in two strands. There are situations mm -hmm. with only one strand. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But in our bodies, it's uh, two strands which are just glued to each other. Okay. And unless it's this transcription process. Um, so this is to make our DNA more stable. It's one of the reasons. Uh, and also when our cells divide, so you have one cell and then it divides, you have two cells. It means that you need to copy your DNA to these two cells. So what cell is doing is actually opening this DNA and building another DNA strand on these both pieces. Now I need another pair of hands, but you have one that was stranded then, and then the second one, and then it can go to these two cells. So you can just multiply your genes and it will be the same in each of your cells. Mm -hmm. But RNA is just being produced in, this, in the cell all the time from different bits of DNA. So um, you don't need to have it in, um, in two strands. It's also there are additional mechanisms that are keeping DNA sort of almost intact mm -hmm. uh, to keep us safer from mutations. And the, the machinery that is making DNA has, is making less mistakes than when it's making RNA. Okay. Therefore, RNA has much more changes because the machinery is not that accurate. Okay. Uh, that also um, underlies the issue with RNA viruses, which we talk a lot right now, that they, are, they have much more mutations because machinery making RNA is making more mistakes. Okay. So, so yeah. the viruses do change. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So exactly, you talk about the instability of RNA. Does it does this also mean that RNA viruses are less stable than DNA viruses because these two top forms of mm. viruses exist? And yes. So what's what's the issue with it? So the issue with stability of RNA viruses. Uh, I'm not a virologist, but I'm an RNA person, so I can just tell the basics, I think, uh, is uh, that, as I said, when you make a copy of this RNA, there will be more mistakes. Mm -hmm. And if there'll be more mistakes with each copy of the virus, it's more likely that it will acquire new uh, features that will, for example, be easier transmitted to other people. And the, on the other hand, RNA is less stable uh, because so it should be easier to kill um, because of one chemical feature, which is additional uh, so-called hydroxyl group in the RNA, mm -hmm. which really means there's additional oxygen mm -hmm. atom. And this atom can attack RNA inside of it and just make it breaking. So wait, breaking the, apart. the oxygen in RNA can attack itself and destroy itself? <laughs> How does that work? Why, why does nature... <laughs> Why does nature come up with these right. kind of mechanisms? Tell me. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah. I think also nature is a bit ahead of us because it had around 3.5 billion years to work on this yes. thing. So um, we just started working on it in like uh, 1953 when the structure yeah. was presented. So I think uh, we have pretty much a lot to discover still. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's that's why it's so fascinating to actually work on, um, not only uh, now, but in general, there are so many different types and so much unknown that it's just, 
really um, keep my mind going. What is out there and what can we find? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so then, yeah, as I said, what about the RNA attack on itself? <laughs> Please tell me about this. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So, in DNA, you have so-called deoxyribose, which okay. is a little Deoxy without means without oxygen, right? Without oxygen, yes. And in RNA, you have ribose. Yes. And there is no deoxy, meaning the oxygen is so there. So you have the oxygen, yes, okay. Yeah. And um, this oxygen, which is not in DNA, but it's in RNA, mm -hmm. it's very close to uh, another important part of RNA, which is a phosphorus atom. Okay. And which is surrounded with some other oxygens. <laughs> anyway, um, because this phosphorus atom is a, a bit exposed to this oxygen sometimes, yeah. uh, in specific conditions, the oxygen is just attacking this phosphorus. Okay, and so then the, the oxygen just comes and, and shoots arrows, or what is it doing? <laughs> what do you mean attacking? <laughs> well, um, oxygen has. Um, um it has like a negative charge there mm -hmm. negative charge is really attracted to the positive charge of phosphorus ah okay makes them a nice couple uh yes. this coupling and meeting is causing rna a breaking in the phosphodiester bond which is okay yeah but yeah so the oxygen attacks the phosphate and then the phosphate says, okay, bye, I'm gone. I'm going to leave the rest of Nothing the RNA like now. Okay, so this yeah. is how RNA basically breaks up. Yeah, uh, okay. this is one, one way that it can easier easy happen. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that um, there are these enzymes, meaning there are these little invisible things called RNases, mm -hmm. which are enzymes which just love destroying RNA. And we have them in our cells, but we have them separated because mm -hmm. otherwise the cell would die. But every time in all the surfaces, these RNAs are there. So for example, when you are a scientist working with RNA, you need to wear your gloves all the time because uh, you can, if you basically, if you touch this RNA with a hand without your yeah. glove, then basically everything will be degraded. These okay. enzymes are super powerful. It's, they are super hard to destroy. You can cook them and they will still be wow. able to destroy okay. RNA. So, okay, so working with RNA must be really challenging in the lab then, yes? Yeah. Yes? Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. You, you, you know, you just have a tube with this RNA and you are just, oh God, I will not breathe into because okay. viruses, bacteria, no RNA, experiment is gone. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you talked a lot about RNA now, and but we still don't really understand, or like uh, probably our audience still doesn't really know what is the function of RNA because you said the RNA has a lot of function, and apparently it's super important because you devoted your whole research career to this fascinating molecule. So, what? Why is RNA so important to study? Why do we need this? What are the functions that we can we actually use them in our everyday world or? What is your take on that? Um, well, as an RNA scientist, I need to say that RNA is the most important molecule <laughs> of them all. And then I will have 
have a comment saying, no, DNA is more, no, proteins are more important. No, as an RNA biochemist, I need to say that RNA is the most important. Yeah, no. um, okay. <laughs> uh, let's uh, start that with the fact that um, there's the hypothesis of the RNA world, which was preceding the DNA world. So before DNA was invented by nature, uh, many scientists believe that the RNA was actually the first okay. one. That's interesting. So RNA was there first and then DNA was produced out of that, from that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, RNA was first, but it was causing uh, a bit of the trouble because it wasn't stable. Mm -hmm. So when DNA appeared, it was actually perfect for storing this genetic information, um, allowing enough changes to actually allow the evolution, but not being changed so much crazily like RNA that we would just uh, couldn't really evolve uh, anywhere. But uh, we can see the remnants of this RNA world in our cells, which, for example, to make proteins, you need RNA. Yeah. And you need a so-called messenger RNA, a template, but you also need another types of RNA that come to assist. And the whole machinery that makes proteins, which is called the ribosome, is made of RNA, as you can Wow. Guess. There's a lot yeah. of RNA going on huh, in our bodies. There's a lot. And the, uh, the exact chemical reaction, which is actually making the protein, is um, it's catalytically made uh, by RNA. So wow. without that, boom, you have no proteins. So nothing works without RNA. Nothing. No yeah, life. There would be nothing, no life without nothing. RNA. Okay. No. I take it. Yeah. So you need these proteins, right? You can't make them without RNA. Okay. To make DNA, you need proteins. And to make DNA, you actually need little pieces of RNA to start making DNA. So basically, RNA is really important to make these things. Additionally, all this energy, little energy molecules, which are in our cells, like they are called like, complicated names, like ATP, uh, they are also made of the ribose things not deoxyribose okay. ribose. so ribose 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 it's a little sugar that builds it's part of the building block of rna okay okay and so this RNA is both in rna and dna and also in the energy molecule atp wow yeah fascinating awesome yeah <laughs> so what which project are you working on then? And then can we use any of that in our everyday applications? Or how can mm. how basically can people relate to your work? What can they how could they use it at some point? So currently I'm working on what is called RNA interactomics in cancer. Okay. So trying to understand is all of these many different types of molecules of RNA floating in the cells are interacting with each other. They are interacting with DNA. They are interacting with proteins. There's lots of going on. It's like I'm trying to do uh, like COVID tracking, but for the molecules inside the cells. Okay. Who, who, when, for what, how long, and what did they talk about? And okay, so it's like a, like a dating app for RNA, yeah? What are you doing? Yeah, 
okay. that's okay. it. Yeah, thank like you, Sarah. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I will actually, yes, I will now focus. The, so it's a dating app for RNA models. Okay. And record the experience, and I'm just witnessing. So, uh, yeah, I'm um, trying to record what is happening in a healthy cell. Mm-hmm. How do they meet? And yeah. what is happening in cancer cell? Okay to actually find not the bad molecules but the bad interactions so instead of you know destroying the bad molecules which are bad in the cancer cell just because there is a lot of them at the same time you're destroying healthy cells too yeah about if we find interaction which is happening only in cancer cells and we will think of how to distort this interaction no, uh, that is only in cancer cells, not in healthy cells. So you will be able to target only the bad stuff okay. while not being super sick with, for example, chemotherapy. But it's okay. just yeah. what I want to do. Um, and I am just in the middle. So, okay. Of- so you're still trying to understand the whole dating community of yourselves and you're trying to find out the the bad couples that are toxic to each other basically where there's no future Mm -hmm. for that relationship and then you're trying at some point trying to interrupt these couples right said wallace yes exactly that nice (laughs) awesome okay um then one of the questions we had on social media as well was um there's rna vaccines available now for the COVID disease as we Mm -hmm. all know um, yeah. So, is there also chances of DNA vaccines? Because these yeah. already exist. So, why didn't we use DNA vaccine for the COVID disease? Well, uh, currently there are. As I was preparing uh, some videos for STEM Cognito to to fight misinformation in about mm-hmm. COVID, um, I was actually learning quite a lot about these vaccines. Um, mm-hmm. so currently, there are like many different types of vaccines being developed. We hear a lot about mRNA vaccines because this is something new and it wasn't done before for the viral infection. Let's say they were working on using them for, for example, cancer, fighting cancer. But they are also DNA vaccines and they are being, um, uh, some of them are being accepted or are in the middle of production. Um, And it's just, Similar, it's just that it's a circular so-called plasmid, which is a circular piece of DNA that then, again, as I explained at the beginning, it will be changed into RNA transcribed and then make the same protein which is triggering the immune response, which is the spike protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they exist. Um, it's just... Uh, with RNA production, it's, it seems faster to just develop the system, and in case of any changes of variants, okay. um, it will be easier to, to manipulate the change, adjust this vaccine faster to the changes of the virus. Okay. So that it's it's really promising um, how it looks like. Yeah. Okay, but we also you just said that RNA is generally more unstable or less stable than DNA. Mm-hmm. Is there a problem with that as well in our cells? 
Um, so uh, yeah, that was uh, one of my initial questions when I actually heard they are doing mRNA vaccine, but how? Because you inject that and it will be destroyed, right? Yeah, I mean that's what I learned. Uh, that's what I remember from my basic immunology lessons, like back in the days. Like yeah. RNA vaccines are just less stable than DNA. That's why we would go for DNA. But all of a sudden, yeah, last year they said, "Oh, let's yeah. have an RNA vaccine." I was like, "How's that possible? <laughs> that goes against everything that I learned." So uh, exactly. I mean, uh, on the on one side of that, it's actually it's good it will be destroyed because you don't want to have the vaccine forever in your body. Okay. It's just simple that you will be injected. There will be some production of this protein, in, uh, in increasing immune response, and then okay, gone. You you don't have okay. this inside of you. Okay. It just not. We don't want to make it happen too quickly. Yes. So, uh, I don't know exact uh, details how did they achieve that, but I know that uh, from what I read that um, the the companies that were working on these mRNA vaccines were working on their stability inside um, animal models um, a few years ago. So they were trying to solve this problem: how to keep the vaccine in the body long enough to cause the yeah. immune but not extremely long and toxic. So in the end, they found the optimum um, design for this RNA molecule, which actually is doing the job. And, and mm -hmm. we can see, looking at the numbers, that it's actually working. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Thank you so much yeah. for answering all these questions that we had on social media and for yeah, teaching our audience all of this. So now at the end of our interview sessions, we have like a couple of random questions that we want to ask all of our interviewees. Um, are you up for that? It's going to be three questions about something completely random. I mean, still science related, but yeah. Yes. Okay. I can do it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the first question is, uh, what would you do if you were donated $10 million to your favorite project that you're working on? And in this case, obviously I talk about STEM Cognito because I feel <laughs> that this is your favorite project at the moment and it's just where your heart is right now. So what would you do if you had like $10 million to support this course? Well, you we would finally, all of us in STEM Cognito, we would get paid. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's salary involved? I didn't know about that. <laughs> yes, because, uh, well, most of people might not know, but we are working completely free. This is a not-for-profit organization that is trying to, uh, to give uh, ourselves to scientists and to public. Mm -hmm. um, and for now, we didn't have any uh, donations. So basically we are working for free. But if we were awarded $10 million, I think, well, I would definitely start as a CEO uh, by paying my fantastic coworkers. Uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the time that they spend on STEM Cognito because they are doing excellent job and it's uh, really rewarding to actually be really um, rewarded financially. Let's not uh, yeah. think that something wrong. Um, and then we would have a big meeting to establish our bigger plans um, with available budget, which would probably be um, lots of marketing and um, hiring. For example, we want to be very accessible so we could um, hire uh, translators that would translate all the talks yeah. for us 
and provide subtitles for all the talks to make it more accessible, to have better software, to make better videos, to help people make videos. Basically, it's like never ending, um, you know, uh, brainstorming ideas and yeah, oh, there's always more ideas coming up. Whenever we have a weekly meeting, there's always I, I remember my list is always getting longer and longer of like ideas we can do and establish on the on the platform. Yeah, yeah. I wish. Yeah, exactly. How what plugins we can buy to make the website <laughs> yes. better and or other things that I don't understand, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, I like the idea. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, our next question is then, uh, what was your favorite subject at school back in the days? Biology. Biology, seriously. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, I always liked all the science topics of so biology, chemistry, physics, uh, math, uh, but biology was kind of the easiest also. Okay. Okay. Because it was I, the easiest for me to remember everything. Really? I mean, I, I had exactly the same. Like, I always liked all the STEM fields, like maths, chemistry, biology, yeah. a bit of physics, but I always preferred chemistry over biology, Ooh. which is also why yeah. I ended up studying biochemistry rather than just biology. <laughs> but then I still yeah. ended up in microbiology. But yeah, I always yeah, preferred so chemistry, just a tiny bit more. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. Well, yeah. I always preferred something uh, which is more complicated, and for some reason, I'm really attracted to really complicated yeah. things, complicated, difficult yeah. experiments, complicated projects, um, internet platform with people <laughs> I know in real life. You know, it's just yeah. uh, what I like. <laughs> awesome. Okay, and then the last question we have is, what do you do in your free time if you don't work on STEM Coffee, if you're not in the lab, what do you do? What is free time? How do you define free time? <laughs> I mean, does sleep count as a free time? Because I sleep sometimes, I eat. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but no, come on, the, there must be hobbies of yours. Please tell me there's hobbies. STEM Coffee is my hobby. Okay. Um, no, but uh, from other things that I really do when I don't work, uh, that will be, I like uh, hiking and going for long walks uh, with beautiful scenery and jogging, um, eating, eating, eating okay. foodie, and my stomach is half Italian and half French. That includes wine. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, that's it, I think. Awesome. Okay. Gardening, I love. Gardening, of course. Okay. Yes, and then, it's... yeah, in Australia, you always have the best weather. So you must have a beautiful garden then. I have a nice garden. Okay. I always need to wear garden gloves when I dig in there. It's Australia after all. And <laughs> I make friends with all the spiders that live at my home. I'm okay. giving them names. Um, so, uh, but I'm aware that uh, sometimes, you know, I, I can encounter something that I don't want. One of the spiders actually made a home in my shoe. Oh, wow. And really I checked my shoe okay. because I know what you're supposed to do. And yeah, and she ran away. Okay, that's good. We're Glad you're safe happy. <laughs> with all yes. this stuff that is growing, uh, that is yeah, living there in <laughs> Australia. Okay, good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marta, for yeah, being interviewed today in our very first uh, parts of the STEM Cognito interview series. It has been a real pleasure talking to you. 
and I hope you can now enjoy your Sunday evening. I just start my Sunday morning now because, you know, there's like how many hours, like 10 hours difference between us. Right? I think so, yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for asking me all these questions. I yes. did my best answering. I'm still learning the scientific communication. So, uh, okay. yeah, it was, it was lovely to chat and yeah, and we will awesome. talk soon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And that's it for this week's episode of STEM to Views. Tune in again to hear more research stories from the scientists themselves. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at STEMcognito and on Instagram, also at STEMcognito, where you can keep up to date with our latest guests, video uploads and science communication tips, and also watch the video version of this interview. See you over there.